all of our old friends. Too many to, too many to, uh, too many to name. And so I'll just stop naming them because some, somebody might feel offended or something. But, uh, but it is, it is, it is wonderful to be here with you. We're just coming off the heels of a, uh, a wonderful staff retreat in, uh, in Leicester where the brothers and sisters who lead the churches in the UK and Ireland and, um, the Nordic countries were all together. And uh, it was a great privilege to be able to host uh, our dear friends Dinesh and Caroline George from India who, uh, who taught us and uh, currently they're preaching down in one of the regions in London today and uh, it was great even to hear from them because of the old connection and uh, uh, I know from their heart they want to, to thank you and, and really all the disciples across the UK for the years of steadfast missions giving to the Indian churches and uh, you know I, I know that with uh, with all the good news that we we heard, uh, we certainly are walking away convinced that that those missions contributions have, have been put to good use. So we're excited about that, and uh, and so it's just great. It's great to uh, be here with, with Helen, and uh, she's my, my better half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, should be her preaching, but we don't do that sort of thing. And, but it's, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. It's absolutely awesome to be with you guys this morning. Um, I believe you're studying through the book of Luke. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to continue where, where you left off last week, which uh, I think you finished up in, in verse 28 of chapter 11. So we're going to start in verse 29. And the title of the message today is A Healthy Eye. Okay, A Healthy Eye. And uh, as we read through the passage, you'll soon discover why. Unless, of course, you're really awesome and you already read the passage this morning before you came in. But uh, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 29, we read these words. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, It will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Amen. So, um, let me just get used to this clicker. I think I pressed down. Okay. Amen. There we are. Brilliant. So, um, first of all, just a little bit of a a recap to set this in its context. Uh, Possibly in last week's lesson, or maybe even the week before, Jesus cast out a demon, and uh, there was one good reaction and two bad reactions. The good reaction was that some in the crowd, in fact many in the crowd, were amazed. I mean, they were soaking it in, they were lapping it up, they were in awe of what the Holy Spirit was doing and uh, excited about being there in the presence of God as that, that mute demon was cast out and, and that, that person was healed of, you know, a lifelong of, of not, not having been able to speak. 
It was wonderful. So that was a good reaction. But there were two bad responses. And uh, one bad response was, uh, you know, some people decided to call Jesus a devil worshiper. It is by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. There's no pleasing some people. Okay, that's one of the little side lessons from that. Is, I mean, how could you do that? Here's, here's a good man, the, the only truly good man that's ever lived. You know, he's, he's performing wonderful miracles, speaking the, the highest caliber of, of teachings that ever has been taught. Uh, you know, and yet he drives out a demon and, and, and back comes a response. And uh, in, uh, I think in Matthew, when that incident happens, um, Jesus actually says, uh, you know, every sin against the Father and against the Son will be forgiven, but it's a sin against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And I think the reason is, that if you're there in the presence of that much goodness and God's power is so manifest and, and, and working on your heart in such a clear way and yet you can look at that and so brazenly say this is of the devil <laughs> your heart's not in a good place no. you know I think that's what he meant by that and so that was one of the bad res- uh, one of the bad responses I'm, I'm presuming last week's lesson kind of uh, you know involved Jesus' response to that and this week's lesson is to actually uh, respond to uh, the second bad response. The second bad response was some people saw the sign and probably even the other signs that Jesus did and yet their response was show us a sign. <laughs> and once again, you know, there's no pleasing some people. You can see 5,000 people being fed out of nothing. You can see everything. And still you can say show us a sign. Okay, and so as we begin today, um, Jesus' answer to that one is, well, this is a wicked generation. <laughs> okay? Let me just, and there, there are times when Jesus doesn't respond to a person's question. He just speaks to their need. Yeah. Evidently, the need was for a little bit of a, <laughs> bit of a rebuke, right? Okay. Um, and, um, but, but before we get on to that answer, I want us to take a look again at a verse I didn't read, but which was read last week, and that's verse 28. Verse 28 says, and verse 27 uh, first says, uh, As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I want to camp on that for just a second because... It, interrupt, it seems to interrupt the flow of the, of the narrative. Um, why is it there? Everything I told you before flows in sequence. Jesus does a miracle. There's a good response and two bad responses. Jesus answers the first bad response. Now he's going to answer the second. But in between, this seems like it's just been inserted there. Why is it there? You know, Why is this little interaction between a woman that shouted out blessings to him and Jesus... Turning that around and saying, well, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. It's not there by accident. It's not there by accident. Um, as, as Jesus, um, uh, sort of underlying Jesus' response to the people who said, this is of demons, and underlying Jesus' response to those who said, um, you know, give us another sign, uh, underlying those responses, uh, Jesus is trying to say, this, you know, and you, and we'll see, we'll see this theme, the importance of hearing and obeying the word of God. Um, we'll see this theme, um, sort of pinning up the argument that that, that, Jesus, that Jesus makes, and, and undergirding it, and being a foundation for it, and um, in in many ways being the real points. 
Are you a people, are we a people who hear the word of God and who obey it? Okay, we hear the word and obey it. You know, one of the things I learned um, fairly recently, a couple of years ago, is, is um, uh, you know, you might have wondered, why are there so many translations in English? You know, why this, and why do they keep seeming to be new ones? And there's, there's a number of answers to that question. But one of the things I hadn't known until, until, fair, until the last few years is that Biblical Hebrew um, only had eight, about 8,000 words in its entire vocabulary. Okay, about 8,000. And, and Biblical Greek, um, which really was translating, trying to translate Biblical Hebrew, um, had more. So, so for example, just a side point, one of the things that Andrew uh, shared this morning about Jesus adding, um, uh, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Okay? One of the reasons for that was because um, when, 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 when Luke and the others wrote the New Testament and they quoted Old Testament scripture, often they would quote from the Greek translation, which has mind, whereas the Hebrew doesn't have mind. But the reason the Hebrew doesn't have mind is Hebrew had so few words that it was a very deep language and it required you to, you know, to really think about context. In Hebrew thinking, the word for heart included the mind. Okay, we think of it differently. And so the Greek translators, who then, you know, Matthew and Mark and Luke took from to put in the Gospels in the New Testament, they threw in and the mind. Um, because otherwise it wouldn't be clear to someone reading Greek or indeed in modern day English. Okay? And similarly, you know, in Hebrew, the word for hear and the word for obey is the same. Okay? In the Old Testament, because the idea was, if you heard, you would obey. And if you're not obeying, well, did you really hear? Yeah. And we use that sometimes in modern day English, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, know, I know you're hearing my words, but are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> we say that, don't we? Are you really listening? Yeah. Okay, and so, um, and so, yeah, bear that in mind. That's going to show up a little bit as well. See, this is one of those sermons where Forrest asked me to do loads of stuff is going on. And, and, uh, and, and so, uh, I don't even have notes. I'm, I'm doing this off my screen. Okay, but, but, uh, but, uh, but God has a message. <laughs> When the preacher says that very authoritatively, you're like, okay, I really hope he does. Here we go. Okay, so um, so how does that apply? Well, well, to hear the word and obey. Jesus has warned when, when, when dealing with the whole issue of, of do you know do I do I exorcise by demons or by the Holy Spirit of God? He goes. He actually goes and talk about um, you know. He says if, if, if the house isn't cleaned up. Uh, the, you know, a demon can be cast out, go away, bring seven more. You know, if, well, he says the house is cleaned up, but 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 something has to happen. I think the reason he throws in the, the Luke puts in these words in the middle is because if you hear the word and obey, that's the perfect antidote yeah. to those demons coming back again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you yeah. just repent, you clean up your house, you know. Um, and then similarly, if you heard the word and obeyed, if that was your, if you have a fundamentally obedient heart towards the word of God. You wouldn't be asking for signs. There's a lot of corroborating scriptures. In a few weeks, you're going to look at Luke 16, where, where Jesus tells the, the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And that story ends, you know, the, the rich man is saying, well, if someone from the dead goes back to my, my brothers, who rise from the dead, goes, then they will believe. And, and, and Abraham, in the story, tells the rich man, 
you know, they have the Bible. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they won't even believe if someone returns from the dead. Okay, and so the antidote is hear the word and obey. Um, point number one, excuses disappear. So first of all, this business about the sign of jo- Jonah. Um, in the presence of Jesus, excuses disappear. Uh, with an attitude where you hear the word and obey, excuses disappear. And, and in, in the light of, 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 of the Old Testament um, uh, precedent that Jesus is going to talk about, excuses disappear. What excuses disappear? Well, he says, first of all, he says, no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. Now, elsewhere, um, in other parts of the gospel, the term, the sign of Jonah, is used to represent what? To represent death, burial, and resurrection. Right? As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, and, and then he wrote, so the Son of Man will be in the tomb and then rise again. But in this passage, he's not really talking about that. Well, when he says the sign of Jonah in this passage, look, look what he says. He says, you know, as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. Okay, so he's not really talking about Jonah's episode in the fish. He's talking about the way in which Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. And how was Jonah assigned to the Ninevites? By his preaching. By his message. Forty more days and the city will be destroyed. That was his message. Okay? Um, But they repented. I put here on the screen, Old Testament Nazis repented. If you go back to the the, the story of of Jonah, you know, in the beginning, Jonah runs away from God's command. The reason he ran away is, you know, if you go to the British Museum today and you find depictions of the Ninevites and the Assyrians, one of there are stones in relief taken from those parts of the world that depict their civilization. One of the things you see is extreme cruelty. They brutalized all the nations that were around them. They were a fierce, brutal, warlike people, such that some commentators have called them Old Testament Nazis. You know, there are, there are pictures of them marching into cities and throwing, picking up young babies, throwing them in the air and spearing them. It's there on the stone. You can see it in the British Museum. Extreme cruelty. Two prophets were sent to the Ninevites. Jonah was one, Nahum was the other. And at the end of Nahum, Nahum closes his book, I think, um, by saying to the Assyrians, who has not felt your endless cruelty? You know, and so, but they repented. These people, as hard-hearted, as brutal, as violent as they were, when Jonah went to preach, they repented. And what Jesus is saying, they repented. At, At the preaching of Jonah, that flawed prophet, you know, that fellow who was running away, that guy who got angry when, you know, God made a vine grow over him and then God destroyed the vine. and That Jonah. And, and now one greater than Jonah is here. I'm here, the Son of God, I'm here. And they will rise up and condemn you, you know. Um, then he talks about the Queen of the South. That's also known as the Queen of Sheba in the days of Solomon. She rules um, a kingdom that now is in present day southwest the Arabian Peninsula. Where Saudi Arabia, Yemen, all you know, it was a wealthy kingdom back then. And uh, she traveled, he says, she traveled across land. You know, she traveled and traveled and traveled. Um, why? <laughs> to ask Solomon some questions. She went all that way because she heard about Solomon's wisdom. She went there to ask, you know, imagine that. You 
know, you know, students, you're, you're, you're struggling with something and, and how far would you go just to get some questions answered for, for, your, for, your, for your exam papers, you know? Just to get some, some wisdom, some extra help, some tutoring. And Jesus says, she did that? And now, one greater than Solomon is here. And so he says, uh, oh my goodness, the men of Nineveh will stand up, they will condemn this generation, and so will, uh, so will the queen of Sheba. Now Jesus was standing there. You know, uh, although they, the people he was talking to, although they were blessed to see the physical son of God standing in front of them, according to Jesus' own words, we are more blessed than they were. Wow. According to his own words, you know. He, Jesus said, uh, after I go, gr- greater things. Will you do? Jesus told the apostles, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That includes us, you know? And, uh, and uh, think, of all the, think of all the blessings we have, you know? Uh, even the people in Jesus' day did not have the whole Bible yet. The, the New Testament was yet to be, uh, you know, put down and, and compiled together and uh, and in fact, for a number for a number of years, they, they had to even when it was being written, it had to be circulated, and only, you'd only get parts of the of the Bible of the New Testament. We have the whole Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. The people who Jesus was talking to did not have the possibility of the Holy Spirit living with them constantly, writing God's law on their hearts and on their minds. You know, instructing them, helping them, comforting them, giving them victory over sins in their lives. They didn't have that opportunity. But we do. Um, we have we have the church. I can come from London to Leicester to Birmingham, previously in India, and who knows elsewhere I was, you know. Um, uh, and this is my church. Yeah. Same family, you know. There's a uh, there's a brother um, in, uh, in in the northwest of London. Um, Tunde, his name is. Yeah. Some years ago, you know, Tunde, he went down to. Do you know the story? No. Okay, he went down to his hometown. His hometown. Uh, is he from Ibadan? I can't know. Somewhere, somewhere in Nigeria. He went down, and uh, you know, his, his all these years, his, his his mom would go to her church when he visited. He would go to our church, and but a few years ago, this one time, he went down, and uh, I can't remember the exact story, but because of a vehicle breakdown or something. They ended up having to go to the same church on Sunday morning, and she said, "Fine, I'll go with you to your church." You know, and this was uh, sorry, it wasn't like there were previous occasions. This was the first time that he visited and actually attended our church in in his hometown. Um, and so he went, and they stayed, you know, fellowshiped everything. And when they were going home, the mom asked him, "They oh, so you've known these guys for some some years?" He said, no, that's my first time I've met them. I was, I was you know, converted in London, and this is my first time I've been to the church here in our hometown. And she said, but it seems like you all have known each other for so long. It's like magic, isn't it? It's like, it's like we show up in different parts of the world, different ethnicities, different languages, different... But there's a lingo that we share. There's a, there are some values, there are some convictions, there's a way of life, there's a... You know, there's a spirit that is common to all of us. Isn't that amazing? They didn't have that, but we have it, you know. And and plus, not to forget, we have accessibility to God's word beyond our ancestors' wildest dreams. Well, you know, well, what what would the Apostle Paul have thought about to have, you know, been somewhere, forgotten his scrolls that he was lugging around and be able to go on to something called, the only tablet he knew was the ones that Moses brought down. <laughs> 
right? a device where even if you forget, you can go on something called the internet. Yeah. And you can even look in different translations and languages. And Whoa. you know, it's, it's fi- if you want to find a, a verse reference these days, you don't have to go onto your Bible app. No, even. No. Just put it in Google. Yeah. It's faster. Yeah. You know? Amazing, you know. What, what, you know, and, and there, there are people who are against Christianity that are actually quite ticked that Christians dominate the internet so much. Yeah. I don't think we do dominate as much as we should, but, 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 wow. You know what accessibility excuses disappear. And you know that that's what he's saying. He's saying, what what excuse do you have? You know, what excuse do you have for not believing? If you're visiting today. I don't want to be too harsh with you. Maybe it's your very first time. But what I do want to say is, is this, you know, I, I came from a Hindu background. I, I looked into other people's belief systems, religious leaders, and, and there, I, I, I came to the conclusion a long time ago and I've never left it. There's, there's no one like Jesus Christ. There is no, no person who lived like Him, no person who died like Him, no person who spoke like Him, no truth like His truth. And it is, it is, it is you can understand it. You can read it, you can understand it, you can comprehend it, you can believe. And so, uh, excuses disappear. Take your time, but be convinced, be reassured. Um, Christians, no excuses. Do you take the word of God seriously? You've been given so much evidence, so much proof, so much in your life, so much. of, of the, How eagerly do you study? You know? Uh, uh, sometimes uh, people are like, well, I, 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 you know, my faith is up and down. And I'm like, well, how eagerly do you study? And most of the time, it's not very eagerly. Sometimes there are other things hindering faith. A lot of times, just put in some more time. To, to don't rush that. You know, don't, 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 don't pop a tablet Bible study. You know, uh, a, a pill. You know, don't, it's, don't, don't do instant coffee Bible study. Needs to brew. <laughs> needs to get in there and massage your heart. <laughs> needs to take some time. You need to read broadly and then read deeply. Yeah. You know, you got to leave yourself enough time. You got to get up a little earlier. Maybe you got to sleep a little earlier to get up a little earlier. You know, but do you take it see how eagerly? How is the word changing you? Because you need to hear and what now? Okay. So how is the word changing? You? How's the word? What, what can you point to in the last one month, three months, one year, five years, where you go, uh, I'm not what the man I should be? You know, before I was a Christian, I was a very selfish person. By the grace of God, I'm learning to be a serving person. Thank you. I'm not where I need to be, but praise God, I'm not the man I was. You know, uh, how's the word of God changing you? Do you do you believe that God blesses obedience? It is almost a dirty word in our generation. Nobody can tell me what to do. You know, you know but, but in, in biblical language, hear and obey, it's, it's one word. Believe and obey is not one word, but it is one concept. Okay? And sometimes we get all confused. Oh, what are you saying? You know, you're saying we earn our salvation. The Bible makes a big distinction between earning and effort. Earning is when your attitude is, I rely on my deeds for God to bless me. You know, I'm, I, and as a result, what happens? I'm anxious about outcomes. When when there's no fruit in my life, I wonder, you know, has God left me? You know, uh, uh, that's an earnings mentality. That's that's not built up in the Bible. On the other hand, effort is always built up in the Bible. 
Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, so on and so forth. Um, um, effort is in response to God's love for us. It's out of that sense of gratefulness that the Brewsters shared about in their Luke 10 welcome. That the one leper had and he was a Samaritan. You know? Um, um, oh, oh, God bless God, lift God always. The Bible always lifts up, lifts up obedience. First Samuel 15 says that rebellion is like, it's like the sin of divination. It's like, it's like looking for input from, from evil spirits, wow. you know, but, but to obey in contrast is better than sacrifice. First Samuel 15. Do, do you have an obedient heart? You know, and it's, it's, it's never going to be perfect obedience. That's, there's only one man who ever obeyed perfectly. But what God looks for is a faithful... It's an attitude of obedience. It's an attitude of, you know, I'm here to hear the word and put it into practice. And I know I'm not going to do it perfectly. But oh my goodness, I'm going to do it with a grateful and faithful heart. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And so, do you take the word of God seriously? Uh, point number two, a healthy eye. He goes on and, then, and then he has a section. And it's found in other parts of the Gospels as well. Where he talks about the lamb... Um, he talks about not putting it in a place where it's hidden, you know, and, but it's, it's on a stand so that everyone may see the light. And um, so this comes out in so many different forms. You are the light of the world. At, at one point, he says uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, I am the light of the world, Jesus says in John chapter 8 and John chapter 9. Um, and then, then this business of the eye being the lamp of the body. Um, when your eyes are healthy, some of the, some of your translations may say when your eyes are sound, or when your eye is good, or in an older English translation, when your eye is simple. It says um, uh, your whole body is also full of light. What what does that mean? In in Hebrew um, idiom, a healthy eye, a sound eye, was a phrase that was used to describe a generous person. Generous like God. Okay? Um, a bad eye was an idiom that was used to describe a stingy person. So if, if, if someone says, oh, that guy, don't go to his house, he's got a bad eye, you know? <laughs> that means, you know, you may be able to squeeze a cup of tea from an old tea bag from him, you know? <laughs> but you say, Go to that guy's house. He's got a good eye. That means no, he, you know, he'll be generous. With you. <laughs> and so it was an expression. That's that's what they understood by that. But then there's also kind of a more natural sense to it, where we understand it's also talking about you know how we see that the two things actually come together. Um, in in Matthew six, we're going to look at that in a minute, just as a as a um, as a parallel passage. Okay. Um, the, 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 the good eye is the person who stores up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Um, who lives today in light of what God will do in eternity. Um, and, um, you know, is, is the one who's devoted to money, to God, and despises money, despises the money God. And such a person is full of light. They see as God sees. Let's look at that passage for a moment. In Matthew 6, um, it's on the screen. Uh, turn to it, whatever you want, but read on the screen or read in your Bible, but read it, all right? Uh, Matthew 6 and, and, and verse 19, he says, you know, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here it's, it's the same thing. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
or, um, uh, very, very similar, very parallel. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and devote the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, I, I put some things in red just so you can see how the one explains the other. Very often in uh, biblical writing, um, you'll get you'll get a number of points. And uh, when we think, we think in a linear way in, in Western thinking. So we kind of build up to you know an introduction and some building up points and then a conclusion. Uh, in biblical writing, a lot of times the conclusion is in the middle. They, they had a very, I don't know, they had almost like a very poetic or a very artistic kind of a mind. So they put the main point in the middle, and when you go from the main point in both directions, you find parallel points. That is, so these two parallel each other, these two parallel each other, and the conclusion is in the middle. You know, um, And so right in the middle, uh, you know, it, it talks about the good eye, the bad eye, but I think the points on either side explain. What is that good eye? The good eye is the one that stores up treasure in heaven. It's the one that thinks, you know, my treasure is in heaven. How do I live my life on this earth? I won't live for the temporary. That won't, I won't allow that to seduce me. You know, I won't allow the temporary pull of, of you know, sexual gratification or, uh, you know, a wealth or, uh, you know, greed or uh, other kinds of pleasure or, or reputation. I won't allow that to pull me. I live na- I'll make sacrifices now. Because I'm looking forward to my reward in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and, and that's the good eye. A good eye. And it's a generous eye, like God's eye. Because with that attitude, you then become generous towards God and others. You're not, because you know, I'm taken care of. I'm going to heaven. Whatever's happening in my life. It could be a really bad day, week, year. But, but I'm taken care of. So, so I can be generous. And similarly, the heart that... That is, uh, you know, Jesus says, Jesus says, only two choices. Only two choices. You're either going to love God, you're going to love money. You can't love both. Okay? And uh, that's a whole sermon on its own. Uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't earn money. That doesn't mean money is sin. But that does mean when money becomes God, that is sin. And so, uh, and so uh, the good eye is the one that's devoted to God and despises the money God. Okay? Uh, so, the good eye. Some thoughts about the good eye. Um, uh, what, so what he's saying what he's saying about these people who are saying you drive out by a demon give us a sign you know he's saying the problem is you don't see the way God sees you don't you don't have a heart that wants to hear and obey you, you don't have God's generous generous viewpoint you know uh, you, you don't see what God sees that's what he's telling them well, how does God see? How does God see? There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to uh, go through a bit of this and then wrap it all up. And, uh, amen. Amen. So, give me a little bit more of your time and we'll, we'll get through this. But there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that makes reference to the idea of how we ought to see as Christians. Right? And it's a little, um, it's a little indirectly. But in 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Why about that in red? It talks about how we regard, how we view 
Uh, the old NIV says we, we no longer view anyone from, a, from an earthly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So this is, uh, he's alluding to an example of how God does not see and how we should not see. Um, he says, we even regarded Christ from a worldly point of view. In his generation, in Paul's generation, both Jews and Romans alike, from a worldly point of view, how did they view Christ? Well, as a criminal. And why else would you be crucified? That's a terrible punishment. That's reserved for terrorists. You know? It's a criminal. That's not a good man, you know? But Paul is saying, no, but, but now we don't look at him that way. We understand the crucifixion was because of my sin. You know, that was he, he bore the punishment that I deserved. And, uh, and, so, and so, so, then, so then these verses set up, if these verses tell us a little bit about how we should not look. And so since we don't look at, he's also telling, telling the Corinthians, since we don't look at Christ from a worldly point of view, we shouldn't look at each other from a worldly point of view either. We shouldn't look at each other as, you know, different races or wealth or, uh, you know, whatever. We ought to look at each other the way God looks at us. And, uh, and, then, and then, so he sets that up. So how does God see? And so in the following verses, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does God see? God sees an unreconciled world. And God has sent the church to be ambassadors for Christ. God sees the church as his righteousness in Christ. Um, um, Christ becomes, became sin's representative. The church becomes righteousness representative when they share the message of Christ. That's a little complicated. Someone explain it a bit more. Um, is, there, is there a... Is there a thing? There is. Mm-hmm. Alright? So here we go. I'm going to go teach you here for a minute. Oh, yeah. Come on now. But, uh, don't hold back. Alright. So, this... What does this mean? God made him who had no sin to be sin. I know he died for my sin. What do you mean to be sin for us? So that in him we might become the righteousness. I know we received the righteousness of God. What do you mean we become the righteousness of God? What does that all mean? And in studying it out, what I learned was this verse continues the ambassador theme of this verse. An ambassador is a representative, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what he's saying here is, how did this happen? How did we become ambassadors of Christ with the message of reconciliation? Well, basically what he's saying is there was an exchange. But Paul taught elsewhere, for example, Romans chapter 8, that on the cross, um, Jesus didn't just die in my place. He didn't just die the death that I should have died. Um, um, but in Romans chapter 8, the, the Bible also teaches that on the cross, God condemned sin in the flesh. Okay? So he didn't just condemn, you know, um, uh, he didn't just condemn Jesus in a way, right? But he actually, the power of sin, sin itself as a power was was put to an end. It would no longer have a hold on us. Um, it was its power was put to death. And and how did that happen? It happened because he made Jesus. Jesus became when he, he made him who had no sin to be sin. Jesus became the ambassador 
of sin so that I could become the righteousness, the ambassador of righteousness, the light of the world. The church is the church is the light of the world. The church is the body through whom the world sees what righteousness is. Or at least they should do it. Amen? Um, but that's, that's what he's that's what he says. It's a little bit complex. It's also quite moving. Um, he became sin's representative so that we could become righteousness's representative. That's what God sees. Um, he, sent, he sees an unreconciled world. He sees us. We're the ambassadors. And uh, amen. That's convicting. You know, are we living up to that calling? Are we living up to that calling? Um, we should live up to that calling. And, uh, you know, again, I can only say, let's take it seriously. Let's take the words of the Bible seriously. Let's have an attitude of faithful obedience. Just in closing, um, you know, uh, I just want to close with this verse, with this thought. Um, you know, as we think about that whole idea of the exchange, of Jesus becoming sin's representative so that we could become the representatives of righteousness, it reminds me of this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What an incredible thought. You know, it's, it's impossible to even conceive what it must be like to be the owner of everything. You know, of all the stars, of all the trees in their variety, um, of every molecule in the atmosphere, to rule and have dominion over all of it. Every puppy dog, every tiger, every, every everything. Every, every blue whale, you know, every, every amoeba. Okay, every one of the 120 trillion cells in your body or whatever it is, you know. Um, and, 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 and then to agree to be a baby in Nazareth. And, you know, to have your bum wiped by your mom, you know, and, 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 and to, you know, to be, to be obedient to earthly parents who you know are not, not, not perfect, you know, to, to become conscious of the fact of who you are at some point, I think very early on in Jesus' life, uh, to patiently wait and serve as a carpenter and as a son and as a brother. I don't know how he waited till he was 30, knowing everything he knew, but it, because it wasn't God's time, See, Jesus had an obedient heart. He just, when God told him, it's not, you wait. The Father said, you wait. when you're 30, you get baptized, then you start. How did he hold on? He, knowing what he knew about the lostness of the people around. He had an obedient heart. And, he, and then he was obedient till death. Okay? And, uh, and, and hey... He became poor. Why? So that we become rich. He became sin. So that we could become righteousness. Amen to that. You know, how motivating is that? Um, in conclusion, a healthy eye sees life through the gospel. What is a healthy eye? What is a sound eye? It sees life, all of life, through the most important fact in your life, which is that Jesus died. That Jesus was buried. That he rose again. That he was exalted. He's at the right hand of God. And he is coming back. He is coming back for us. Okay, um, because he died, we can die to ourselves. What's so important that you cannot die to yourself? You know, um, because he arose, we can live the life that is truly life. Because he's coming back, we can be filled with hope and persevere as ambassadors for Christ. We are the light of the world. A healthy eye. Thank you. Yeah.